hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This weekend, we took my son, Hayden Rowland, to college. It was an emotional time. It's the second one of our kids to leave the nest and go to college. We still have one left at home. But it really got me thinking about Hayden growing up and Turner growing up and the boys leaving the house and Hannah still being there and got a little emotional, a little a little um, sentimental. And I wanted to watch some of the shows that we had done and see how the kids had grown. So I pulled up Waypoint TV on the Apple TV. And I easily went back through all of our episodes and found the first ever episode that we filmed with the with the kids. And Hayden was just a little boy. Turner was a little boy. Austin, uh, Rich's son, was literally a baby. Then I just progressed through the seasons and watched how the kids had grown. And it was just such an easy way to watch what I wanted to watch. I could watch it where I wanted to watch, when I wanted to watch it. I could skip through it, fast forward, move on to the next episode. It was so easy. And that's the way Waypoint TV is. Not just our shows are on there, but there's over over, uh, 60, 70 different producers now, both in hunting and fishing. And if you have a favorite, you can scroll through there just as easily as I did to find the old childhood memories or the memories of my son's childhood rather, as I got emotional in his departure to college. Waypoint TV is available on every device, including smartphones, smart TVs, Apple TV, Roku, on and on and on. Just go to waypointtv.com. You can find out how you can watch Waypoint TV. And you know what? It's entirely for free to the consumer, entirely for free. So check out Waypoint TV. I spent a long time looking at it. I think for me, that was probably one of the biggest decisions I made of like, am I doing this for the right reasons or not? But I decided that I wanted to do it. And so we set up a big safety plan and made it happen. But essentially it was kind of probably like a 70 or 80 foot drop, but mm-hmm. half foot, but it lands like right against a rock shelf at the bottom. So you have to get further out from that. So that I, the goal is to like, you free fall for about 20 feet and then there's a shelf um, that you try to hit and then hmm. that kind of would like bounce you out and then you gap the shelf at the bottom. So you have to like hit the first one to miss the second one basically. Wow. And then right after that, there's like a, a 30 footer right below it that kind of by itself, it's not too bad, but just because it's right below, if anything went wrong on the big one, then it's right there. So it's kind of like a double sequence sort of thing. 
This is Hunt Jennings, and this is the Tom Rowland Podcast. That was Hunt Jennings, and he was talking about running Wolf Creek, which is, in his opinion, the most difficult waterfall that he's run. Hunt Jennings is a professional kayaker. These days, he's also going to nursing school. Man, the guy, what would you think a guy that would run many hundred-foot waterfalls would be like? Would you think that he would be cocky and, and brash and, and full of confidence? Well, I kind of thought that's what I might encounter, but was pleasantly surprised to see that um, Hunt was a far different man than that. He was contemplative and soft-spoken and intelligent, and he really thought more in a Zen-type way than in a uh, kind of a conquering fashion of these waterfalls. Hunt started kayaking when he was in uh, sixth grade, I think, and then he did something really cool, which is what intrigued me about getting him on the podcast. He went to, he uh, left his conventional high school his junior year and went to a school where they camp out, they take, they actually take their classes on the edge of the river, they move around like a vagabond school, and in the afternoons, they have dedicated kayak practice. Everybody that's there is there for one reason, basically, to go to high school and to become a, a much better kayaker. He did this, and not only did he come become much better, he became one of the best in the world. Hunt has done many first descents on lots of waterfalls, and man, he's had some incredible uh, adventures and experiences way off the beaten path. And he just has a very interesting point of view on life, mostly that, in my experience of just talking to him, that he learned from two things. One being wrestling, which is very close to my heart, and the other, kayaking. We had a lot of interesting conversations on the similarities and differences between wrestling and kayaking, and also the, the lessons that the river can teach you. And he was... Uh, he was open to the idea that the river can teach you these lessons, whether you're kayaking or fishing or, or whatever, being on the water, learning how to read the water, learning how to live in, on, and around. The river can teach you a lot of life lessons that he has been able to translate into his academics and into his regular life. Hans, a... Uh, very interesting character. This will be one of the most interesting podcasts that we have done yet. It's with extreme kayaker Hunt Jennings coming up. All right, so Hunt Jennings. Yeah. Man, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Well, I've heard a lot about you. Uh, we have a mutual friend in David Levitt. Yeah, he's yeah. one of your one of your training partners and kayak buddies. Is he right? is, yes, yes, sir. He uh, he was my teacher, my coach, and uh, and then eventually, kind of like we became kind of training partners, like you said. Yeah, know? and so you've been all over with mm -hmm. him, right? Yeah, yeah. He started uh, when we were in in middle school, and he was our teacher. He took us over the summer to um, out to Idaho 
for a kayaking trip and then that kind of fired everything off and since then we've been traveling and so what how old were you when that first your first exposure to idaho in the west uh let's see i was probably 14 or 15 okay when, when we first went out there so and so had you been kayaking a good bit before then I had. Yeah, I started in sixth grade, so I guess this was eighth grade that we went out there and just learning the basics, learning to to roll your kayak over and mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So, and and you learned that mostly in the swimming pool or the lake or or wherever you learned the basics. Yeah, yeah. You start out definitely in the pool and and flat water and kind of just learn those basics and then start on the easiest river kind of you can find. So around here, that would be the Hiawassee River and. Mm. And then progress your way up to the Akoe and stuff like that. So. so would you call yourself at some point, you know, I'm learning online and I'm I'm not really a kayaker, although I've spent a lot of time on rivers as a, as a drift boat guy mm-hmm. and stuff, different kind of rivers than you're on. But, uh, you know, parts of those rivers we, we take out before you put in yeah, <laughs> for yeah. the for the deep stuff. So uh, I might ask you some questions that are pretty, pretty basic. But would you consider yourself at, at some point you were a professional kayaker? That's a is that a fair thing to that's say? That's a fair thing, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I had I had sponsorships and and they helped some for me to travel and do stuff like that. It's kind of a kind of a joke in kayaking in some in some ways cuz there's a there's a lot of opportunity for sponsorships once you get to a certain level and but there's kind of a narrow opportunity to have I guess to make like a sustained living off yeah. of it. So so I wouldn't say that I was like right now I'm not uh completely supported by my sponsors and stuff, but mm-hmm. I would say for sure that like that I was kinda in that world. Yeah. yeah. And so that sponsorship enabled you to travel all over really all over the world. Would you, is it all over the world or all over the country or where all where all has it taken you so far? So yeah, I've I've done a good bit of traveling over over the world really and my junior and senior year of high school I I did some study abroad stuff. Yeah, that's interesting. I was I was I was reading about that. So that was the that was called Patagonia Study Abroad. Is that what it's called? There's that, which is kind of the gap year, kind of like more college credit okay. type stuff. And then um, New River Academy was the actual high school. So it's an accredited high school. Oh. And um, and so yeah, it was. Uh, I kind of did that. I went to Macaulay and did that kind of like in in relationship with Macaulay. Right. So how did that, how did that happen? Where did, I mean, you were just super interested in kayaking. Were you always drawn to kayaking or was it like, was there a moment that you just decided this is it? I I love this. You know, I'd always been really drawn to kayaking for sure. I was, I was pretty into wrestling as well. And that's partially how I know David Levitt. Um, he was my coach and everything. And I think there came a point where they were both taking so much time that I was kind of just had to decide I really wanted to go kind of all out in one of those. Okay. And I chose kayaking and there's this opportunity that I found out about through the New River Academy school to to go there and my parents were supportive so They were. Yeah. How did you break that to them? <laughs> <laughs> it took a lot of kind of like meeting people that had gone to the school mm-hmm. and then getting them to talk to my parents to be like, oh, it's a real thing. Like, like you can, it's not like a fake school or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, there's a student um, that went to Macaulay. He was probably like, when I was in sixth grade, he was probably like a sophomore or something and he went there. So um, I think that, that helped. So where was this school? 
it's based out of West Virginia. Um, and so, but then each quarter they would fly somewhere different and travel around. So we went to like Canada the first quarter I was there and then um, Chile the second quarter. And So what does a day at this school look like? So a day would be, I mean, it's honestly, they set it up to where it's fairly similar to a normal high school. Um, the difference is that you're staying either camping or staying really close to a river mm-hmm. so that instead of going to wrestling practice after school, you go to kayaking practice. And so from like 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. would be classes. And then evening would be kayaking and then eat dinner, do homework and do it again. The and next then day. you're camping right there. Like everybody's on site next to the river and mm-hmm. you're having classes right next to the river. Yeah. A lot of times that would be how we did it. If it was remote and there's no, no hostels or anything to stay in, we would, um, camp on the side of the river and and like ideally they try to find somewhere like that had like sort of like i don't know a pavilion or yeah picnic tables or something to do class on but yeah. and so the class load the the workload that you're taking is similar to like what you would have in a regular high school year you're having history and math and science and and those type of courses mm-hmm. yeah it was it was fairly similar i tried to take everything that i was going to be taking at um my high school in Macaulay, um, and just take those credits mm. there. Yeah. And then they were transferable once you decided that that was, I mean, is, is that kind of school something that you would see people go in for a semester or two and then return to their, their high school after they had gotten really good at kayaking or is, are people like career students there? Definitely. There's probably more students that do it for like a semester or a year. And then, and that's originally my dad, my dad actually made me like sign a like contract <laughs> with him that's saying that I would only go for a semester and I kind of like talked my way out of it. But, but yeah, but just partially because of the cost, it's expensive to travel and everything. And, um, and then also just, I think parents like their kids to be in a like, um, more stationary school. And yeah. Well, why did you think this was, this was a great opportunity for you? I mean, I'm sure, you know, for the people that are listening, they may not be familiar with Macaulay. I also went to Macaulay. That's what, that's one of the reasons that I know about Hunt through my friend David Levitt, who's a wrestling coach there, has coached both my boys. And we talk about his kayaking a lot. And we also talk about, you know, what he's doing. And he has told me some stories about Hunt, which made me want to have him on the podcast. Macaulay is an excellent school in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I mean, when I say an excellent school, it is one of the top schools in the country. So, it's interesting to kind of for me to kind of ask the questions of why did you think that this kayaking school or this New River Academy was going to be what you wanted to do? Because a lot of people are super happy at Macaulay, right? Mm-hmm. And and being challenged greatly, yeah. uh, either academically or or there's tons of of uh, athletic opportunities. Some being a small kayaking program, mm-hmm. certainly nothing like what you're going to. But why did you think that this might be something that you wanted to do? For me, it was just kind of like, I I was just very passionate about it from the beginning. Starting in sixth grade, the only opportunities for me to go kayaking were kind of the through the school's trips on weekends or whatever, and um, and that kind of, but I was always so excited about it, and my I think my passion just kind of grew, and then getting the opportunity to, to go out west a couple times mm. kind of just kindled that more and more, and I was just very passionate about it, and I think, I think when I found out about the opportunity to 
go to a school that would like foster just kayaking. That, I mean, that idea just like stuck in my head until I kind of tried to make it happen. So, yeah. And what were the teachers like at this, at this school? So, I mean, I'm just thinking from a standpoint of trying to run a school like that. It's Mm -hmm. hard to find teachers that are qualified to teach subjects and that are competent kayakers as well. So, I mean, they were all kind of like qualified in what they would teach, just like at Macaulay or whatever, have degrees in what they're teaching. Um, And they would, uh, they were all kayakers as well. So, they weren't necessarily, I don't think it's a requirement for them to be like expert kayakers to be teachers. Not There's different levels that they were on. Um, and then they would have a kayaking coach to kind of be like the one that was like the expert and there to guide all of us kind of. So kayaking wise, the teachers were kind of like more or less on the same level as the students. And then um, and they were more there to teach their subject, and then the coach was there to teach guys. And then those teachers, are they managing some of the safety on the on the river, like making sure nobody's getting swept downstream? Or I don't know how they would do that. How many students would be out in a, in a standard kayak practice? Yeah, so depending on the difficulty of the river, we'd either all be out there together, or sometimes they would separate us into like a more experienced group goes to the harder river and less experienced group goes to the easier river. And then the teachers kind of corresponding to their skill level would go with that group. Mm. So a lot of times the teachers were involved in kind of the the leadership and the logistics of everything. But also, I mean, a, a huge part of the, the school to me that and what I got out of it was like kind of the the life lessons, I guess, that it taught us, like aside from academics is like we, we were also involved in the in the kind of logistics and the coordination of safety and everything so i think that kind of like subconsciously gives you kind of like a sense of responsibility and and whatever to to your group of people that you're with and and kind of teaches you lessons like that so sure for me that's kind of like i I feel like i got some good that's what you took away from the school i mean obviously you probably became a much better kayaker when you went there and you're kayaking every single day with a coach and and learning specific skills and there's probably a a template of how he plans to to teach this so there's like a stair step to getting Mm -hmm. to the the more difficult things that you're going to do but it's interesting to hear you say that that you know you came away with a sense of responsibility more you know before you say well i became a much better kayaker you Mm -hmm. know which i'm sure you did but the responsibility is something that stuck with you to me, that I mean, the kayaking is amazing and definitely much better at that than I think I would have um, through the opportunities that I got. But lessons like that, I think, are, are what are were the most valuable to me. Like, just like, yeah, the responsibility, the ability to think on your feet and for yourself. Um, think about more than yourself, like the group that's involved, because mm-hmm. you can't be successful really unless your whole group is successful. Kind of that mentality, and then also just like. I mean, the places that we went to get to the rivers were remote. And so you kind of, I guess, get exposed to other things that I probably wouldn't have seen growing up here in Chattanooga, going to Macaulay, you know, like, uh, well, we were around a lot of poverty, a lot of people that were way less fortunate, I guess, than we were. And and so that was kind of like, I think in my life, that was a big point where I was kind of like exposed to a lot more than I had ever been before. Yeah. So it was a lot of stuff in all in one kind of yeah. learn there. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. I think that it's so important for for young people to travel 
whether it's within the United States or, or abroad, to, to see that and get a bigger worldview than just your hometown. Because like you say, there's, there's poverty, there's, there's uh, people that are super disadvantaged, there's people that are super disadvantaged that you're around and you're like, wow, these people are super happy. Like you would think from the outside that they have nothing yeah, but these are the happiest yeah. people that I've ever been around. And I've seen that in Christmas Island and, and you know, in places, extremely remote places like uh, Australia, where I've been there. And some of the, some of the people that are, that are there literally don't have anything, but they are the happiest people that For I've ever sure. seen. Yeah. Right. They just have, they're, they're not being held down with any, any possessions. They're not being held down with responsibility. They just, it's just them and their family and they spend all their time with their family and they're super happy about it. And, you know, you'll, you'll see even some documentaries on Netflix. I think there's one called happy there and, and it goes into trying to find the happiest people on the planet. And a lot of them don't have much, Yeah, you know, very yeah. interesting kind of deal. So then when you're at this school, how would you say you were as a, as a skill level when you went into this school? I'd say I was, I was competent, you know, I'm, not an expert by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say, you know, Whitewater is ranked um, in difficulty of class one to class five rapids. And as you get better and better, you can, um, you can, I guess, say you're comfortable with running class three and comfortable with running class four and mm-hmm. so on. So I'd say when I went there, I was comfortable running class three, I would yeah. say, you know, and I could, uh, I could handle class four, but maybe needed a little more support with me to make it down that. That's kind of where I was, I think. Um, yeah, and then then when you go there and you're getting this coaching and they're pointing out, you know, they've seen people transition through this this process that you're doing and, and they're able to, just like wrestling, they're able to say, okay, well, you're a pretty decent wrestler. Let me show you a few things here and these are the things that you need to work on. And I'm assuming that's what they do with the kayaking too. So did you experience a few things at that school that that, that put you on a different level? And was that pretty early in the school? I think so. Yeah, you know, it was, a lot of it was, it's interesting because it, I mean, you're there every day with the same people. And so the change for me, I felt like was a little, I I didn't notice it as much until, you know, maybe I came back to, um, to home and was kayaking with people that I had um, been before I left. And then I was like, whoa, like, or, or on the same rivers that I had paddled before I left. And I was like, I'm, so much more comfortable on the on this river now or whatever and um so for me it was a gradual change and i didn't see that at first Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. then i remember i had i had an epiphany one day and i was just like wow like like the time you spend doing something really matters to how how much you improve and like even you know like obviously trying to get better every day that's what we're working on but like it just wasn't as apparent to me while I was in that setting until I had something to contrast it to. And so when I came home and saw kind of what I had, the skills I had when I left versus the skills I had now, it was like a kind of a whoa moment. Like it really matters, like the time you get to spend doing right. something. And also who you're around, who you surround yourself with matters greatly. Sure. So with this moment of, wow, I'm pretty good now. I feel like <laughs> I feel like I can do about anything. Is that when... You might have looked at something that you previously thought was impossible and, and you think, I think I could do that. I think so, yeah. There was definitely a a time when I came home from the school and there's like, Chattanooga, we're blessed to have a lot of rivers and creeks for kayaking and 
fishing, whatever around here. And but there's a there's a handful of creeks that are that are harder around here because they run off of the mountains, Lookout Mountain, Signal Mountain, and they have Class Five whitewater. And those had been kind of like I knew of them before going to the school, but they'd kind of been up like off of my radar. I didn't think I had the skills, and I remember coming back and like watching videos of those and being like, I think I could like do that and then starting to branch out and do some of that stuff. So it was like, definitely it changed kind of like towards the end of the, going to that school, I began to be able to see things as like, I could probably do that now. Yeah. So when you, when you think I can probably do that now, a lot of the buddies that you had and you were kayaking with before you've surpassed their, their ability. So who do you go do this? new thing with this these creeks that are coming off lookout mountain that are class five and you've never done them before do you find a whole new group of paddlers to go with you know there's chattanooga has a good community of people that go run run these creeks and and some of the people that i went to school with at the kayaking school were from this Mm -hmm. area so i was kind of lucky in in terms of being able to go out with them and then also i had two really good friends and um, teammates that from the wrestling team I was on that were kayakers too. And they kind of like really put in work to, to like make kayaking a priority for them. And so they were, I mean, they kind of progressed along as well. And I mean, to this day, we still go kayaking together and yeah. stuff. So that was, but I think it was a unique, you know, it's not easy to do that at Macaulay. You, you have, a, or any high school, you have a lot of responsibilities studying and, if it's not made a priority, kind of like at the kayaking school, it's hard to do that. But yeah. uh, but in this situation, I think we all kind of made it a priority to do it together because we love doing it. We love doing it together. And and so that's kind of cool. We still do it today. So Yeah. And and then, so as you're kind of stair-stepping towards these, these more and more challenging things, really, when I do my homework and a lot of the, a lot of the stories that David has told me, one of the things that you're known for outside of being a very good technical kayaker at a very young age, it seems, is doing some waterfall drops that, I mean, they they seem impossible. Um, <laughs> and so I, David told me that you had done a 100-footer. Yeah, I've done a couple couple around that height. That's <laughs> kind of like the peak of my, of the height that I've gone to. Are there people that go higher? There are. I mean, like, there's not a ton. Once you start getting, you know, like if you, I'm not a physics major, but if you, if you like calculate acceleration and free fall, like, like once you start getting above a hundred feet, it start, you start landing a lot faster and with, with more impact. So despite however easy the waterfall is, the, the rapid coming into it, just the sheer height makes it like, makes it kind of a, kind of a, numbers game i guess and i mean like it's very calculated but like everyone makes mistakes and a mistake from 100 feet is not not usually good i mean that's really really bad that could easily be death right yeah and that's something that you're trying to uh factor in is this a possibility can i do this safely right you don't want to just do it once you want to do that again so i'm very interested in how in this decision-making process. Well, first of all, let's let's talk about what you've done so far. You've done a, a couple of hundred footers, around ninety to hundred footers. Yeah, there's one in in Oregon, and then one here uh, close to here in Alabama okay. that I've done. So. And then 
what would be the next step down easier from the 90 to 100 footers? Like 60? Yeah, there's a couple of 60, 70 footers near here and, and in South America where we were that I've, that I've gotten to do that have been good practice. <laughs> okay. and uh, Good practice, huh? Um, okay. And then, then the next step down, I mean, obviously we're stepping down in height, but I'm sure that there are some things that are like 50 feet that are more difficult than a 70 footer. I mean, just because For of the sure. volume of water or whatever. But so you've, at this point, you've, you've done some 90 to 100 footers and you've stepped down and basically done, I'm assuming, a lot of things between just a, a standard class five rapid. And then you're starting to get to the drops and you're going higher and higher and higher and higher and higher. So uh, how many people in the world are doing these kind of things? Because when I think of a 100 foot waterfall, I don't really think of a lot of people that want to go off of that in a kayak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but maybe I'm missing a whole a whole subculture that I don't know about. You know, there's definitely, it's grown for sure. Since I, I think when I started doing it, there was a lot less people doing it. And in terms of the whole world, there's very few people that desire <laughs> to do that, I think. But in terms of kayaking, I think the number of people that do waterfalls has grown. I think part of that is... Um, because of video, I think right. the you know GoPros and stuff like that allow you to see firsthand what what you need to do to do it. Um, waterfalls is kind of a weird a weird thing too, because like I mean anyone can sack up and go around a big waterfall. You know, like it you have to just be willing to fall, I guess. And there's a lot of calculation that goes into it. But there's also a lot of like people that are just emotionally fired up and <laughs> maybe don't think through everything like they should um but but it's kind of like a it's it's interesting like the the height of a waterfall and the rapid coming into it what the landing is like everything comes together to make each one very different and so i think a lot of people are drawn towards waterfalls that are we call them clean waterfalls so Mm -hmm. it's kind of just like easy at the top fall big pool at the bottom and like you're at risk of landing flat, hurting your back, um, getting injured. But like in the grand scheme of things, it's safe in terms of like you're going to be in a big pool at the bottom. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Like you're going to some of these falls. And it's one thing to be growing up around one of the falls in Alabama. Is that DeSoto Falls or something like that that, that you ran? DeSoto Falls. Okay, so, another one. so that one, let's just say that one. You're, you're around that. It's not that far away. You can go there in the winter. You can go there in the summer. You can go there in the spring. You can see mm-hmm. what's there. Sometimes there's not a lot of water coming out. You could put a snorkel and a mask on and go down there and mm-hmm. see, you know, have a good idea. Are there giant boulders down below this? Or what's the process in in scoping out a fall and think, okay, that one's clean. I can I can easily do this, but I need to wait for these certain water conditions to be able to do it. Or there's too much water going over. I could do it when there's less. I mean, are those the th- kind of things that you're thinking about? For sure, yeah. And and some of them, you know, have been done by a lot of people. And yeah. So just judging off of that, you kind of don't need to do. I mean, if 20 people go over it and don't hit the bottom, then it's probably deep enough. <laughs> you know. <laughs> But others that have been done less are the ones that you really have to put your work into. And I kind of got, that kind of became my passion, I guess, around here. It's like I started noticing all these waterfalls and I was like, why have people not done them? And I'm like, because one, they don't run, very, like like you said, the water level has to be perfect. You have mm-hmm. to wait for the right amount of rainfall. 
Um, and two, it's unknown. No one's done it before, so so no one really knows what's going to happen if it's possible. And so to do that, I like I think I've gone swimming in a ton of waterfalls, especially around here in the summer. Just go, I go swimming and like see where um, the water's landing when it's low. Come back when it's higher. See where it's landing. Swim to the bottom. See how deep it is and mark the pool around the edge. A lot of times when it rains, the pool level will actually rise. Mm-hmm five or 10 feet, um, which makes the depth better. So all those things go into play. And then also just like trying to understand how the water works and how your kayak works in the water. So we've even like gotten fish tanks before and like made a waterfall going into the fish tank so we could see from the side and make like little like wooden kayaks or something and see how they, how they land and how much, I guess, depth you really need. It's surprising how, how little depth you really need really? to land a kayak. So are there special kayaks that you're using? I mean, when I go and and drive by the Okoy or something, I see every manner of kayaks, the long skinny ones, the little short ones where your feet are right at the end, all of these different kind of kayaks, which, and, and obviously they have different buoyancy and different surface, surface uh, uh, area, which would, which would have a big impact on, on both how you landed and what impact you made or how buoyant they were if you just shot back up to the surface or if you went under. What are you looking for in a giant waterfall kind of kayak? And now more than ever, kayaking's grown. The amount of um, designs of kayaks have increased. So there's a lot to choose from. But ideally, you want, we call them creek boats. So they're kind of not the short kayaks used for tricks and they're not the long racing ones. It's like a happy medium and they're easy enough to control and move around that you can make adjustments and stuff but they're not not so short that you don't have any speed or you don't have any protection or anything so they're usually about eight to nine feet long um and that's kind of the kind of what you want to go over a waterfall and then if you get really picky there's you know the bottom of them some some are flat which is if you land on a flat hold kayak it's um a lot harder of an impact than one that's displaced yeah. or rounded and um and then the shape of the rocker you know like some of the bows scoop up and mm-hmm. that can when you land that can cause it to kind of g out really hard and and stop abruptly which is not, not exactly not, what you're looking yeah. for yeah and then some of them have less of that and it allows them to kind of pencil and essentially what you want off of a tall waterfall is um is you want to land straight in and go down and the longer with the nose of the kayak going in first yeah it's kind of it's basically like cliff diving yeah. like if you belly flop off of a tall cliff it's it's <laughs> the same thing you're sitting so if you land flat um you know that kind of compresses your spine a lot there's a lot of back injuries in kayaking um and there's um you can also i mean that, that's basically the main the main danger i guess yeah. is um you want to land straight in, and uh, well, there's also drowning, hitting the bottom. Yeah, there's a number of <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a number of things that could could go wrong. But that's interesting how how you want to do that because when I see the pictures of you going off of these giant waterfalls, some of them it looks like you're almost leaning back and you're trying to keep the boat like this, but you really want it to nose in, right? Depending on the height, yeah. yeah. So the tall ones, um, you want to go straight in if. There's a margin, kind of like 20 feet, you can land flat and be fine. Some 30-footers, depending on the water at the bottom, you can be fine. I've seen people move 
50 booth. Sorry, I'm using kayaking <laughs> lingo, but booth is where you land flat. Um, oh. I've seen people land flat off of, um, off of 40 and 50, 60 foot waterfalls and be fine. Um, really? So, seems like that would hurt. I mean, it seems yeah. like it'd knock the teeth out and do all kinds of damage to your back. Yeah, I think it definitely has potential to, but people people get away with stuff. So mm. it's, but then also people, I mean, I have a friend that, I have a couple of friends. One friend broke his back on a 20 footer and another broke his back on a 30 footer. So it's like, were you with them? I was with, yeah, I was with both of them. So on, on situations like that, did this school or other opportunities train you in wilderness EMT or, or other situations how how are i mean obviously you're going into these situations with a group of people you or probably every one of you needs to be have some sort of medical training in case something goes bad and it's going to be in a remote area what's your protocol there how do you how do you prepare yourself for that i think so i mean we were all certified in cpr and and stuff like that um and then you know they have programs like wilderness first aid programs and i think that stuff is good but honestly like i've taken those and and you learn it remember it for a week or something and if you don't use it you forget it so to me like the biggest the best way to learn stuff like that is to is to do it the more you go kayaking the more you're going to be exposed to situations where people need help and stuff like that and you learn fairly quickly the most efficient way to get stuff done. And then just like, I think after one thing like that happens to you, you kind of ideally start thinking like, what am I going to, when you're putting on a river, what am I going to do if something goes wrong? Like, can we hike out or is it other walls on both mm-hmm. sides? Where's the closest hospital? How, where's the take out? You kind of go through like, what would I do if this happened? And then ideally you communicate that with, with other, if you have a good crew, like we do things down to like, like we tell each other where we leave our key, we hide our keys on our car right, because right. if something happens and you don't, and that's something you might not think about to do. Like if, especially if it's your car, you don't need to tell anyone where the keys are. But if you don't tell anyone and then something happens to you, then, and you're, you have the only car, like what, how are they going <laughs> right. to help you? So stuff like that, I think just like over time, like learning from people that are better than you, seeing stuff happen and making mistakes, I think is, kind of the best way to to do that surrounding yourself with people that are more experienced than you mm-hmm. yeah obviously we we do some similar things in the fishing mostly because we're afraid we we might drop the keys in the river much, <laughs> much more so than dumping the whole boat but it it happens i mean you're in a you're in a drift boat and you're going down and you're in class one white water but you have two guests two guests with you and mm-hmm. you don't have a lot of freeboard in these boats yeah. to begin with and you get a little bit sideways and and the oar gets stuck in a rock and next thing you know you're taking half the river in inside the boat and it can happen and it does happen and even even can happen in knee-deep water you yeah. know when something uh unexpected can happen but you have to be prepared for all of those things but kayaking is just such an extreme sport i think of all of the sports out there in the extreme sports and i think of kayaking as being definitely one of the ones that is the most extreme because you're you're getting pushed underwater um you're rolling your kayak there are giant rocks under there the river is taking you and in control really Mm -hmm. so you have to kind of learn to learn to it's kind of like in wrestling a lot of times where 
Um, and I'd, I'd be interested to know what you think the, the similarities between wrestling and kayaking are, because I'm sure that you can find some. And if it draws someone like you to it and someone like David Levitt to it, mm-hmm. there's obviously some sort of connection between the two. But I would think that, you know, like if you're wrestling someone that is super strong, you're not going to outpower them. Yeah. So you have yeah. to work with them and let and use their strength against them. Mm-hmm. So if if they don't know much about wrestling and they come barreling across the mat at you, well, good. You just snap them down and move out of the way, and now now you got the takedown, and mm-hmm. it was very easy, right? Yeah. Because that guy yeah. came so hard at you that now it's it's a it's a very easy thing to get out of the way and mm-hmm. and get around him. A river is there is no overpowering the river. You have to go with the river. So what what do you think? Have you ever thought about that? Like the the you said you really liked wrestling and you really liked kayaking. What do you think are the similarities and differences or, that you found? You you kind of nailed it. I think the main thing is just on a surface level, you have to be tough for both of them. You know? Yeah, uh, I think wrestling made me like a lot tougher, that just mentally and physically, like and kind of knowing your limits and like what you can go through, and then mentally preparing for something. There's a lot of people that are good enough to do a lot of whitewater that choose not to just mm. because of the stress and anxiety that comes from the risk is too much. And that's fine. But I think wrestling helped me be able to like just be mentally tougher. In wrestling, you don't really get much. It's like, this is your guy. <laughs> You're wrestling him. And so I think that aspect kind of helped me. But then also, like like you said, like the um, learning to work with something in, in terms of like, or instead of opposing it, like wrestling is a lot about momentum and, mm-hmm. and like angles and stuff like that. Not just, I mean, sometimes you can just completely overpower someone, but if there's two really good guys, they're equally as strong and, and stuff like that. And then kayaking the river is way stronger than you. You have no chance. So it is a balancing game of trying to like, kind of like harness the energy of moving water and, and use that to your advantage. And so, yeah, a lot of times, it's funny, a lot of times, like, because I've taught kayaking a, a good bit, too, teach lessons and stuff. A lot of times, the guys that are, like, like football players come in, they mm-hmm. want to learn how to roll, and they're super and they're super athletic, and they've never really had any problems with learning how to do something athletic. Mm-hmm. And then they get really frustrated because they're trying to, like, use their power to, like, roll up. Like, even rolling up, it's not about, like, how strong you are or anything. It's about technique and and stuff and so a lot of times people that are used to like doing something like that have trouble with kayaking because it's more about like letting go and learning when to let go and when to like and when to use kind of strength and when to like back off and let the river do the work for Mm -hmm. you yeah there's a lot of similarities to wrestling like that you know i mean you can you can you can think about a hundred different moves just even a half nelson it's like sometimes you know, or 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 you want to put somebody in a cradle, and and one of the tricks that that I remember Gordon Connell showed me was like the guy won't give you your leg, will push it down. You know, and you're trying to lift it up, and if you push it down, then the guy wants to lift it up, so he puts it exactly where you wanted it yeah. to. So yeah. you're actually are using the the opposing force to to really fool somebody and you could i would imagine that you could do the same thing with the river one of my favorite things we, we would do um in the rivers that we would fish out west i would love to fish the eddies and i was always fascinated by the eddies and and even in a river that doesn't have a lot of white water it's the south fork of the snake river and it had a lot of volume and the volume is is I mean, it's moving fast and you would go down and I would hit this eddy and I could go back up in here and I could just be just inches away 
from the main river just cruising past, but I could just sit there. And I was, mm-hmm. I was always thinking that was so cool because if I put this oar down, yeah, I was going to be taken. Mm-hmm. But if I could just somehow just stay just and keep the boat just like that, and I love the, how you do that in your videos, like you'll go through something and you'll turn and you're just in this eddy and the river is cruising by and you're just able to just sit there. And I think that that's probably, that has to be one of the coolest things when you're learning how to kayak is all of a sudden you're not overpowering the river. You're not, you're not letting the river just take you. You're using your brain. You've, you've learned how to read this water and you're just, you're just putting it in, in a place that's just big enough for the boat and mm-hmm. the river will hold you there. For and, sure, yeah. and so I'm sure that as you're learning how to do these waterfalls and as you're learning how to run these, these, uh, class five rapids, that that has to be a, a major part of it, of about learning to, to read. That's what being a kayaker is all about, I'm sure. Is le- you, you can look at a river and go, oh, it's easy. You just go right through there like that, mm-hmm. and you can see a line, right? For sure, yeah. That. yeah. That is one of the coolest parts. It's kind of like learning a new language almost. Like I've read some books about kind of I, – I, I mean, I've always been interested in how our brains work and stuff. Yeah. So. But, you know, like when you're learning to read, you you learn how to sound out the letters and you learn how to piece them together and then sound out the words and then and then gradually you read sentences. But now, like, once you know how to read, you don't really do that anymore. You just see the word and you recognize the word. So I think our brains are kind of programmed to to pattern recognition and learning how to how to pick stuff out like that that we do repetitively. Um and so, yeah, in white, white water, it's kind of like that. You know, when you start out, it's just kind of like intimidating. And you know that there mm-hmm. is some rhyme or reason to it because you see other people doing it, but it's you can't do it yet. And so that, I think for me, that's kind of like one of the things that I was like, I just like really want to know how to like navigate this and, and read it for myself. And so just over time, you learn how to do that and how to how to pick those things out and how to yeah read the water and... Don't you think that it's important that, that and, and this is one of the things I think that is, is awesome about kayaking and so many other things as well, but there's a stair-step process to that. Like, you can go to the Hiawassee River, and then you can go to, I don't know, the next one up and the next one up, but you could, at any point in that process, you could go to the Okoy and be like, whoa, mm-hmm. that's way too much. I don't want anything to do with that, and that's impossible. And then if you just keep stair-stepping up and learning little skills here and there, learning there and becoming more comfortable with more volume or, or more powerful river or deeper, steeper river, then all of a sudden, and that's what I'm assuming your, uh, your experience when you went to the school and you come back and you're like, oh, all of a sudden these creeks that seem so intimidating, they, they don't. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and you didn't even realize it was happening. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. And that's that's a great thing about the different rivers and being in a in an area where there are a lot of different rivers and a lot of different water levels because I'm sure at different times of the year you can go and just get this stair-stepping experience that allows you to go to actually feel like at some point there's a 100-footer and I can do that. Yeah. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. That that is how I mean and that's why it, to me that's why it's been I think that's where my passion for it came from and I mean, it's an adrenaline rush, but pe- I think people in sports like this like kind of get the people view them as being like adrenaline junkies and stuff. But for me, it was I think my passion kind of came from that progression that you're talking about and like just constant puzzle that it is to to figuring stuff out and like learning how to how to gradually 
understand more more and more complicated things and so do you think that that that, um that process of understanding more and more complicated things has helped you to outside of the river off the river and in your academics i think so i took probably let's see three and a half years off after high school to focus just on kayaking Mm -hmm. and then i started taking some some college classes and now i'm about to graduate from nursing school and so i think like just the mindset that it gave me to be like like this is a very abstract thing like most people don't know how to like understand water and stuff and uh, like kind of if you can understand this then i think myself and like everyone else included like can uh can understand anything so to me it's like i see a lot of people that limit themselves because of their own mindsets and stuff and so with school school was intimidating to me because i hadn't been there hadn't been in school for almost four years and like everyone talks about how hard like nursing school is or whatever and to me i kind of like like relate back to the just like underlying lessons that i learned i think in kayaking and and draw confidence from that and just know that if i put the time in the work in and try to understand it like over time i'll be able to and i think that's really helped me in my academics and uh and really like all areas of life i think there's doing anything like that kayaking it's cool i'm reading like the book a river runs through it right now for the first time and it's cool like seeing how they grew up like learning the river and stuff and it's like really similar although they're fishing and they're reading the water in a different way Mm -hmm. they're learning the same lessons in a way from the river and the things that they're they're doing to um and and those lessons kind of become more evident in their life and how they view life and things so i think that's that's one of the coolest things about kayaking and 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 really any you know sport like that 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 teaches you kind of those lessons and yeah it's fun and you you can get really good at it and you get competitive at it but you also are taking away a lot of like lessons that can carry over to other mm-hmm. parts of your do you life. think that that those lessons like you you started kayaking at a very young age are you do you look back on it now and go oh i kind of learned these things from kayaking i realize now that i was learning a lot more when i was out there kayaking than just how to how to paddle a boat and how to get down a river safely or do you think that you were taking these kind of lessons in all all along the way even as a young person a little bit of both i've always tried to try to take out like i guess consciously what what i'm learning about it but you know like a lot of the time my focus has been just kayaking especially when i'm when i was younger and in high school and just graduating high school i was all fired up about kayaking and Mm -hmm. i think a lot of those lessons i think i learned and didn't maybe become aware of until later and i look back and i'm like the way that i'm viewing this now is like coming from or i learned how to look at this new situation from what i've done in the past but i didn't really know that then and but yeah. I can tell now that it's helping me. Yeah, if that makes sense. I find it hilarious. Well, maybe hilarious isn't the right word, but it's kind of hilarious that somebody that will run a hundred foot waterfall is terrified of nursing school. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's just it's just perspective, you know. It's like it's all about perspective. You're that's where you're super comfortable. You've been out of school for three and a half years, and now you're going back to school, and that's a very intimidating situation. Mm-hmm. I always like it when you can take life lessons from something else and apply them over over there and be like well i was afraid of that 100 foot waterfall at one point but i went in there i learned what i needed to learn then then sooner or later i don't know if a 100 foot waterfall can ever be comfortable but you did it yeah right for sure and that's super cool 
I, I really like that. So what, what do you think drew you to nursing school? I think there's several, several reasons. I don't think I ever had quite the passion for school that I did for, <laughs> for kayaking, but um, I started dating my the girl that's now my wife. Uh-huh. Um, I saw that. Congratulations. So, uh, that's just recent, right? Thanks. Yeah, it's um, a little less than a year now. Okay, so. great. But I think that kind of just like in itself, uh, when we started getting more serious, I was kind of like, oh, I probably need to like, <laughs> do something besides like, I mean, I could like make enough money teaching kayaking or something for myself, but maybe not for both of us. So it was kind of like, a, in a way, a long-term decision. But then also, I had several friends that were nurses and there's just like a lot of different ways you can you can go with it. So it's not really limiting in itself. And then I think it's the closest thing that I could think of to like what I was good at in the way of thinking that I was used to in terms of like thinking critically and not having a right or wrong answer necessarily and being able to like piece puzzles together recognize things that are going wrong and stuff like that and it's hands-on so you're not just sitting at a desk all day long so i was like well if i'm gonna do anything this sounds pretty good and it's a two-year after your prereqs or whatever it's a two-year program and so i was like decided to go with it (laughs) and and you're almost finished one more semester or yes i'm gonna be done in december okay Cool. Everything goes all right. <laughs> yeah. And so how are you balancing your, your kayaking? Do you have to put it aside a little bit or? or? Um, it's definitely, yeah, definitely not going every day like <laughs> like I would like to. But um, but I've, I've tried to manage that by like being more focused, I guess, when like when I when I do go kayaking, um, it's kind of like. I know like maybe I won't have tomorrow and the next day to go kayaking as well. So I'm going to put like all my focus and energy into, into this right now and, and focus on, on that. And then also like other ways to get better at kayaking, like watching video or um, thinking about new things to do. I I think like it complements each other. Mm. They complement each other. And so I think I've been able to kind of maintain sort of a, sort of a skill although i get scared sometimes i'm like dang like i'm not kayaking like every day like i used to but then like once you go out and like paddle it feels like normal so it's definitely i think there's like as far as the big waterfalls go i've kind of backed off of that a little bit while i'm in school because to me that just takes so much like it takes like all of my mental energy and and focus to be able to like scout scout out what i want to do and like be in the right mindset to do it, I guess. Um, what is the mindset of taking on a, a hundred footer or, or a first, a first descent or something super challenging? It doesn't have to, we don't have to put a label on, on how high, but I, I find it very interesting. Mindset, mindset to me is something that I talk about a lot on the podcast and it's something that has been incredibly, it's a big part of my life. I believe that when you, can control your mind, you can control your body Mm -hmm. and your attitude going into something is, it's everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's everything, whether it's a, it's a negotiation or party or, um, a wrestling match or kayaking or fishing tournament or, or showing up as a fishing guide that, you know, you show up with a mindset like this is going to be a great day. It doesn't matter what your customers are going to be like. You just have that mindset that I'm going to be the best fishing guide possible today. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing that these people can do that is going to 
to deter from that. And if you go in anchored in that way, the outcome is almost always positive, right? Yeah. So when you're when you're going to do a first descent or you're going to challenge something, do something challenging, that process probably starts what weeks, months ahead of time. I mean, to me, it's rare that I show up to like a waterfall, like a tall waterfall, just happen to show up and be like, oh, <laughs> impulsively run it. So it, it, to me, it's usually either something that I've really been wanting to do and watched a lot of video of or read about um, or been there myself and scouted it a lot. And so planning it. And so part of that, like I think the preparation, you feel like you put the work in for it. And the other, going back to the similarities between wrestling and kayaking, I think that's kind of like um, where I think I started learning how important your mindset is from wrestling. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you can go into a match and and so much of it is dependent on your mindset. You may not feel good. You may have been cutting weight. You may have been like whatever. But like your mindset in that match, like it's the only thing that matters to go in, you know. And mm-hmm. um, And I think despite win or lose the wrestling match like if you go in knowing that you're not gonna quit until the end like and you're gonna do your best and and everything you can't always control if you win or lose but you can control like your effort that you're putting in until the end and that's kind of like taking that and then going to kayaking i think there's a lot of it's complicated because like you want to make good decisions and there's some Mm. sometimes when you need to call it off and be like this is too much is going in a negative direction. We need to like not do this today. And that's hard. That's sometimes harder to do than run it because you want to run it so bad. But <laughs> but you need, so I think the ability to make the, I kind of had a rule for myself, like I would never go to a waterfall and say for sure that I'm going to run it mm. until I'm like getting in my boat. Cause so like when you're planning on doing one of these, it's not just like you just happen down to the river and decide to run a 60 footer. You need some support there. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, if you're if you're doing it intelligently, you need a, a few buddies. And so now instead of just going over and having fun on this river, you've all decided that this is what you're going to go do. Mm-hmm. And then you bail out. And yeah. I mean, how how does that like I, I know that you're confident enough in your decision making process that you're like, no, there's too many negative things going mm-hmm. on. And your crew has to feel the same way. Like, cool, man, let's go. We'll do it again another day or yeah. maybe we won't ever do it or or whatever. But there had to be a situation or some times in your life where you're like, man, am I just chickening out? Am I just bailing on this mm-hmm. or am I really making a good decision? Like, how do you tell the difference between between looking at something and going, wow, I don't know. And just I'm not, I'm not going to do that one. And, yeah. And basically quitting on the idea versus making a good decision and saying, it's not today. I'll do it, but it's not going to be today. How yeah. does that work? I think it's really, I mean, that's one of the trickiest parts, at least for me. And I think for a lot of people, that decision making and being able to analyze yourself and being like, where are these? I mean, there's so many feelings. <laughs> like when you get there, obviously, you're like, like humans aren't really meant to fall that far, go over <laughs> waterfalls. So you're anxious and nervous. And then, but also there's other people involved. You're, I mean, like, a lot of times the the crew momentum is like it's weird like even even if things are going negative we we talk a lot about like um I don't know if there's a name for it, but the the concept of like there will be multiplying negative factors and no one wants to 
be the one to call it off you right. know like right. um it's raining the water's coming up um it's late in the day it's someone's not feeling good like we forgot a, our safety equipment mm. we there's just like things like that you know that can that multiply really quickly and that maybe one of those things isn't a reason to not do it but all of them are but all of them are and just to have the judgment and then the courage to be the one to say i think we should call it and a lot of times it's amazing like you just saying that and everyone else is like yeah 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 we're good too. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but then sometimes there's times where that's not the case and people are bummed that you didn't that you didn't do it so i think being able to analyze where it's coming from where the different feelings are coming from. It takes a lot of discipline and mental toughness. And I think one of my kind of like kayaking mentors told me one time, he told me to like think about it in turn. He's like, are you, he's like, are you trying to, are you trying to talk yourself into it? He's like, if you're trying to talk yourself into doing something, it may not be for the right reasons. But if you're like, if you feel like truly that it's something you want to do and it's for a good reason, like you want to, test yourself i mean basically running a waterfall is a, a test of how have all my other practice waterfalls and everything that i've worked for like can i put it together under pressure and make mm. it work like mm-hmm. here and test my skills and stuff like that just like a test in school or any other sort of thing it's like kind of a pinnacle sort of analyzation of your of your abilities and do you want to do it for that reason and to, to push yourself and stuff and you're just like scared because like you can want to do it and still be terrified at the same mm-hmm, time. So. Right. Or are you trying to talk yourself into it for some other reason? Like, what am I going to like be cool on Facebook or like, <laughs> um, or like I'll be the first one to do it or like no one's done it before, like stuff like that. And you're trying to talk it and talk yourself into it for other reasons. So I would, I would always really try to, uh, and that's something that you can, carry over to life in general too like why do i want to do this and is it a is it a reason that i should do it? and so i would kind of just keep that and then if i determined that it's something that i wanted to do then and everything logistically was working out then that it was usually a good the outcome was usually good um if it was something else impulsive or like other motives for doing it talking myself into it then i would try to like call it off or mm. if someone else wanted to do it i just set safety and help out or whatever mm. but yeah I think well those it, those decisions have have um have have served you well right have you had any accidents i've been pretty pretty lucky you know i hit i had one concussion and that was probably my my worst injury in kayaking but i guess relatively speaking that's like i'm thankful for that because it could be could be a lot worse so but generally yeah like i tried just surround myself with good people that are respectful of of those decisions it's kind of weird like people just get so fired up and they want to go and they don't realize like like we're all doing things that are like inherently endangering ourselves so like what like people should be entitled to their own sort of like opinions or or like decisions at least like if they want to go or not and not be pressured into doing something but that it happens it's like peer pressure you get pressured into doing stuff and i think just the key to longevity in the sport of kayaking or any like extreme dangerous sport um, is being able to make those decisions and to see the big picture and yeah instead of the do you ever get in a situation or are there any waterfalls that are like this where when you put in 
basically you're making the decision that all of you are going to run it today because the cliff walls are so steep or there's no way to really hike around this. Once you get there, you're running it. Mm -hmm. That seems like that would be a very, very difficult time because you put in, what, a half mile above it, Mm -hmm. and then now you're noticing kind of the water's a little higher than it was last time or maybe it's a little lower than it was last time, and you didn't Mm -hmm. necessarily notice that right away, but then you get down to where, I mean, basically, by putting into the river, you've made the decision that you're mm-hmm. running this thing. Are there are yeah. there waterfalls like that? There definitely are. And those are things that you want to be well aware of ahead of time. And and kind of the decision has to be made um, beforehand. Mm-hmm. And then after that, that's kind of a cool experience, though, too, because after that, everything goes away. And once you're in there, it's all... It doesn't really matter. Like your only option is to go downstream or to figure out, figure it out. Like once mm-hmm. it happens, you know. But at least going in, the you need to assess kind of everyone's how everyone's feeling and and kind of our mindset and and then make the decision as a group going in. And there's a lot of times like where things will change and like or say you do like part of. Or, there's a lot of times like that will happen and there'll be like like you might be with a group and then you come to another section of a river that's the harder section or the more committing section. Mm-hmm. And, and some people want to like not go. And so you have to reorganize the group. You know, you might have five people and only three want to do that part and mm-hmm. be like, okay, well, is it still safe? Is it, do we still want to do it? And, and stuff like that. So it's a constant game of like yeah. decision making. Yeah, it seems like, it seems like, you know, the way that you're describing it, the group that you're with is, is really super incredibly important beyond just the the idea of if anything goes wrong. But this is like one person running one of these big waterfalls is way more of a team than I would have would have imagined before we started talking. And I'm sure that you have to place very careful consideration of who those people are mm-hmm. and who you know. There might be other kayakers that you're that you're that you have a lot of respect for and and you know they're great and they they know safety and everything but for whatever reason you just don't have the 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 juju the mix yeah, you yeah. know and and it's like eh, just don't feel as good you know paddling with with that person as I do my crew that may not be you know technically that person may be better but he it just doesn't fit in you know i'm sure there's some of that what about your family do you uh do um does everybody kind of understand this lifestyle I think so, yeah. I think it took a while to kind of like, I mean, to kind of like for them to adapt to it, I guess. So I think me going to the, the kayaking high school mm-hmm. definitely kind of like exposed everyone to it. And they've always been like really supportive. I think like my grandparents are always like shaking their heads and stuff <laughs> when they watch the videos. But otherwise, I think they're supportive, you know. And um, they, I think it's probably, probably hard to, because it, it's inherently risky, but I think they they know that I think I try to develop the trust with them and to be to show them that I'm not being reckless and not doing things in an uncalculated manner, I guess. And mm-hmm. so they became they were always pretty supportive of it. Yeah. Does anybody else kayak in your family? Yeah, my uh my older sister actually started kayaking first. So that's kinda like why I decided to try it in the oh, first yeah? place. Um so she was kayaking with her high school's outdoor program. And then that kind of was like, well, I'll try that too. So that's kind of how I got into it. And um, then you have done a lot of kayaking with her. Mm-hmm. And does she like to do these waterfalls? She does, you know, she does some. I don't think she, she hasn't ever really enjoyed kind of the, 
the super tall ones, but she's definitely like she definitely runs some and she enjoys it. So so that's it's cool to go like with your family and to and to see each other progress, I guess, relatively to to what you want to do and yeah. stuff. Yeah. That's interesting. I'm sure that has she ever talked you out of trying to do one of these things? Like she knows it, like she's been there and she's like, no, don't do that one. At first, when I, like kind of when I came back from the kayaking school and and started trying to do more of the hard creeks and stuff around here, I Mm -hmm. think she was kind of like, because she knew what they were too, just as well as I did. And she was kind of, it was kind of an unknown for us sort of uh, realm of kayaking. And I think she was kind of like, thought I was being reckless or something. Mm -hmm. So, but then she kind of like came to, came to be more support or I mean, she was always supportive, but like, I think when she saw that that was something that I really cared about and really wanted to work at getting better, she was always supportive and she would come if she didn't want to do it, she'd come set safety or whatever. And she, and she was, yeah, it's really cool. And she, she's like a really good paddler. She runs most, most of the rivers we run. She'll, she'll come run them with us and everything. So nice. So what does she do for a living now? She is one of the outdoor program um, leaders at Wake Forest University oh, really? right now. Yeah, oh, that's so. cool. Well, I just did a podcast with Ethan Reeve, who just was the strength and conditioning coach at Wake Forest. Oh, cool! And he uh, he was back, and so I just 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 had him on yesterday. Yeah, interesting. Wake Forest must be a great school. Um, they have they seem to have a lot of opportunities. They don't have a wrestling team, but <laughs> you know we won't hold that against them horribly. But uh, that's that's really cool. So what do you think has been the, the hardest – I keep going on these waterfalls. Are waterfalls are waterfalls the most challenging thing that you do or are there first – you know, it, it, are there other rivers that have presented a major challenge logistically or technically that you're super proud of or is it mostly waterfalls? Is that the what's, – what's the brass ring? There's several of them. You know, waterfalls – to me are kind of like I, I kind of like the waterfalls that are like puzzles so I, I like the the ones that haven't been done before you need to study them mm. figure them out yourself and and that maybe aren't so calm going like off of them you have to like run a, a rapid to get just to get to the top of it mm. and go off or stuff like that so personally that's just kind of my ultimate like satisfaction is being able to take a complex waterfall that's not super straightforward and piece it together and make it work but there's definitely other other rivers you know like that are harder in a lot of ways technically just because it's not just because you're not free falling doesn't mean that i mean the rapids are right. dangerous um technical hard and a lot of it lastly you know a waterfall might be hard but whatever happens it's going to be over in 10 seconds yeah. by the time you get to the bottom so but yeah, the other rivers, you know, like expeditions and stuff, like we did, I think one of the coolest rivers that I've done was the Middle Fork of the Kings River in California. Mm-hmm. And then you hike in like, I think it's like 12 or 13 miles and you go over a pass. Bishop. With your kayak. Mm-hmm. And you, it's like kind of a, the typical number of days is five days. People have done it in a lot shorter of time when they get to know it really well and everything. But yeah, you load your kayak up according to how many days you plan on spending in there and then hike in over Bishop's Pass and then put in, and then it's, I think, 40 or 50 miles of Class 5 whitewater to the takeout. So, hold on. You're, you're, you're carrying a kayak and supplies for five days? 
mm-hmm. you carry your kayak. So they they make these, they make them where you can kind of rig them up yourself. Um, but kind of, it's basically cam straps and you attach them to the different grab loops on your kayak mm-hmm. and then kind of make a backpacking system out of it. So you're carrying your kayak like a backpack. Yeah, um, but isn't the, isn't the back hitting the ground behind you? Kind of. You you want it like adjusted so it's like so that I guess the stern's probably two or three feet off of the ground and then you can put like a rope on the front of it so you kind of pull it over okay. your head so it elevates it even more. And your head's in the hole? So yeah. You can't see her? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, there's a couple ways you can set it up. It's not comfortable, but it, it works. Well, 12 and, miles. I mean, that's that's a lot. Plus five days supplies, five days food, you know, probably what do you do for water? There Filter. we were just, uh, in Cal- it depends on where you are. In California, we were just drinking like straight out of the river. Though, so. You didn't get Giardia? I didn't ever, know. Wow. So. That's incredible. Yeah. A lot of people think you can't do it. I had Giardia one time, so I don't take any chances. I either filter everything or take my own, take my own water. It's it's a <laughs> it's not a pleasant uh, a, illness. <laughs> it's probably a fa- better idea, but that's what that's what we were doing. So. Yeah. Well, you're probably as a kayaker, you're probably uh, getting plenty of water up your nose and down your throat and and yeah. and in your mouth occasionally, yeah. uh, accidentally. Yeah. So, Maybe might as well. More boost your immune system or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, guess so. I guess so. So you go in 12 miles and then you're going to put in and then what do you do on this river? Um, and then it's kind of just making it, making it downstream. Um, there's a lot of different um, types of whitewater and it increases in volume as you go down because different rivers are running into that. So you put on like pretty high in elevation and it's more just like a little creek and mm-hmm. then that confluences with another creek and it gets bigger and bigger mm-hmm. over the course wow. of 40 or 50 miles and by the end you're in a pretty big i mean you're in the king so the middle fork and the south fork of the king's river come together and then you're in a pretty big big river so uh, it's kind of cool to see it change like all the way down um but the goal is to just to do it and then make the logistics work you have somebody that's going to pick you up at the bottom in our case we had someone picking us up so if we were a day late then they'd probably be pretty worried about us or <laughs> whatever um kind of doing that and like knowing where you are on the river how many miles you did that day and then you in that situation too you have to take into account more of like the group and the decisions you make are even more important because if something happens you're kind of like in between two two mountain ranges and so there's no like basically, we we had a like spot GPS spot beacon. So mm-hmm. if anything happened, we like the only way out would be to call the helicopter, I guess, and that's expensive wow. and maybe not possible depending on where you are. So so I'd say for me, like I was that was my I've only done it once, and I was like probably more conservative than I would have been had it been a river, the same river by a road or something, mm-hmm. because yeah. because uh, any mistake is a lot more costly out there, I guess. So. So if you were to rank the top three most, most uh, uh, I don't know, crazy, dangerous, extreme, the things that you're the most proud of, uh, the top three, starting with three and ending with one, what would it be? <laughs> oh, man. That one's probably up there, the, the middle fork of the Kings River. But I'd say my, like I said earlier, my kind of my biggest passions, I guess, were kind of piecing together waterfalls mm-hmm. that no mm-hmm. one's done before i think um there's a lot here um near chattanooga have you been to cloudland canyon state parks Mm -hmm. the top if you hike down that trail there's 
kind of three waterfalls and the top one, I think it's called Cherokee Falls. I did that one and that was kind of like, I think that's probably like maybe number three, I guess. Wow, that, that because is, that's a serious waterfall. And a, a lot of the times you go and check that out, there's not a lot of water coming over yeah. it. So that had to be at a rainy time of the year. Yeah. So, yeah. So I've been there a bunch to scout. That's one of the ones that I swam in it and like, kind of like analyzed it for i mean really the first time that i saw that waterfall was when i was at macaulay and um, david levitt took me hiking there just to like like just for fun and i was like these waterfalls and then so it was cool to like over the, the course of probably like three or four years like i mean i didn't even think it was like possible and then yeah come back and like do that and catch it at the it has to rain like I don't know. Like it probably like right now it probably have to rain like seven inches for it to yeah. have enough water to do it. In the winter, probably like wow. four inches. So, so when you show up at Cal- Cloudland Canyon with a kayak at the top, it's not a common deal for somebody to have a kayak at the yeah. top of that deal. So did you run into any rangers or do you have any trouble with that? I didn't, thankfully. I don't know that they would have been super pleased with it, but they it was during the week and it was on a rainy kind of cold day when no, like no one wanted to be there anyway. So I think, uh, I don't think they were on the lookout really, but most people don't like try to go kayaking bear Creek, which comes into that from the other side. Um, people kayak a lot and that's Hmm. fine. But so when you kayak that, do you just pick your kayak up and walk up all those stairs and back to your car or do you head out all the way down the Creek? Um, I walked back up to my car. So yeah, a lot of stairs. There's like two thousand stairs. Yeah, there's some stairs in there. But <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, so that's number three. What What do you think is number two? I'd probably say there's a waterfall in in Minneapolis. Yeah, I saw that one online. That was a first descent, right? Yeah, that was cool because my dad has always he has a little cabin up and kind of near the border of Canada, Minnesota, and Canada, and he's always loved it up there, and so. I'd been to Minnesota before, but I'd never seen the waterfall, and I started researching it and did, found out that no one had really done it. And then from talking to a lot of the locals, I kind of like started getting discouraged about it because mm. they all said it was really shallow at the bottom. And but I kind of like from the videos and stuff, I was kind of like, like it looked to me for like a runnable waterfall. Like from, there's nothing that made me think. Mm-hmm. Usually, when something's super shallow, like like you can tell just from the way that the water's landing and reacting at the bottom and did you swim that one no i so that the thing about that is this one i didn't live there and i didn't have an opportunity to to go swim it so it was a lot more for me i think i got there i scouted it for like three days before i before i did it and the water it was an interesting story too the water it was kind of low like probably lower than i wanted to kayak off of it and then the last day that i was there it rained a lot and the water came up and I actually, I think it was actually, I think the highest recorded, they have a gauge on that Creek, like a USGS gauge. And I think that the highest recorded flow on that Creek was that day. <laughs> I don't like, it was just total. Uh, it's just like luck. You're just yeah. there in the right place at the right time and you'd already scouted. Yeah. Um, and so it was actually too high and I came there that morning. I didn't want to do it cause it was too high. And I only had like one person to help me with, mm. with the safety. Um, the other thing is there's like, a, for some reason, there's a bridge right above the lip of the waterfall and there's a chain that goes across the river under it. Mm. 
And with the high water, um, the water was like almost up to the chain. Like it would have kind of like closed on you, like right at your waist. Wow. If uh, I don't know why they put that there. I don't know if it was for people to grab onto if they were swimming over. So I don't. I really don't know why it was there, but it kind of ruins the the possibility of doing it at that water level. And so I I left and I went to eat breakfast and I was like eating breakfast and I was like I kind of want to go back just look at it one more time and then. And this is kind of that decision-making stuff, too. It's like, yeah. it's a bad idea. And it's in a really, I mean, it's in downtown Minneapolis. So there's hundreds of people around <laughs> and stuff. And it was kind of like, if I, I mean, like, whatever, regardless of the decision, if it was a good or bad decision, if you mess up, you're going to look dumb. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> but I went back. The water had dropped, like, just enough to where I thought it was, like, the perfect water level. And this log had floated down the river. Yeah. And the end of the log was kind of shaped like a Y and it hit the chain and then the water pushed the log and it kind of chalked on the bottom of the river and pushed the chain up <laughs> enough out of the water that like I could get under it. And so, and that was like, I was just like, man, that's pretty, that's hard to not take that as a sign that I should run it. So did it also like, I'm assuming that you just sit there and watch it, watch that waterfall and you see the line that you're going to take. And did it lift the chain up so that you can take your original line that you picked, or did you have to choose a slightly different line to get under the chain? Yeah, you know, if it if the chain wasn't there, I probably would have just come more straight downstream. But since the chain was there, um, I decided to there's like kind of a little eddy over on the side, so I caught the eddy, and in the eddy, I was able to like duck under the chain and then peel out. So, wow. but it was kind of like. The eddy was there kind of because of the water had come down a little bit, and then the chain was just high enough to get under it in the eddy. So. And then what's the runway between the, the getting under the chain and getting to your perfect line on the brink of the falls? Uh, from that eddy, like, once I ducked under the chain, you peel out into the flow, and then it, it was probably about, like, it's basically like it was peel out, try to make it to the other side of the river where you needed to be, and then you're going off. So it's probably like 30 feet or something from there to the to where it started dropping. And then is it true, or was it was it media that Obama um, mentioned <laughs> you going off of that falls in his speech the next I th- day? I think he did. Uh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that he w- was going to make like a speech there or whatever. But like I found that out just on the the news the next day, and then I was like. I think I don't know if someone tagged me in it or whatever, but he he briefly just said something. He was like, "Like, well, I didn't go off in a kayak today, but um, it was a cool place." (laughs) I don't know. It was funny, but I didn't really like intend for it to turn into anything like that. But I think because of the like record high kind of like flows or whatever, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of like um, news stations out there filming yeah. just the high Plus, water. Obama was coming the next day. They were yeah. really checking it out. Yeah, so I think all those things that I wasn't really even aware of combined just uh, there had to happen to be a lot of cameras there, so it was, it was I cool love that about. video. I mean, you're just looking at that falls and then you just go bloop right down <laughs> and then you're down for, I don't know, like one Mississippi, two Mississippi and then you kind of pop up and on the video that I saw, you came back and it looked like you had a pretty good handle on this this log that was going into the water i mean you you look like you were holding <laughs> holding on pretty tight and yeah. actually when i started doing my homework about this that was the first video that i saw okay and i was like man he looks like he's holding on pretty tight that must have <laughs> been like looked like you were held underwater for a while or whatever but it, it it did i don't know if you were or not but it looked like you were like 
okay, I'm done with that and I'm stopping right yeah. here. Yeah. That was that was a cool video. And and so many of your other videos. Where where have you put most of your videos on Vimeo or YouTube or where? Um we my friend and I have like a Vimeo channel. I think it's called um it's called OGP Productions. Mm. So that was I don't know if I saw that one. Okay. I was seeing yours on Vimeo. Okay. Like old. It looked like it looked like it was pretty old. Okay, yeah. Um, there, but that there, one, the the YouTube, oh, oh what? OGP Productions. OGP Productions. Mm-hmm. Do you get a lot of views over there? We've gotten a good number, I guess. It's, I mean, it's not like like tons. That one in particular, I think, just because like it got shared by so many media places, mm-hmm. got a lot and and stuff like that. So I haven't had quite as much time to be to like manage uh, like our videos and stuff over the past like year or so because yeah. of school. But like, but I always have enjoyed making videos and and stuff. So hopefully, I can kind of like get yeah. back on it after it seemed like in one of those schools that i saw that you went to maybe the the uh gap year one there was a, a a portion of the course that was video production was that right yeah there was yeah and that's kind of how they did so yeah they had that and it was kind of cool because like that kind of worked its way into the school zone marketing and everything mm. so a lot and a lot of the kids that had scholarships that's kind of how they got their sort of like financial aid or whatever is like they would film and edit videos for the school and the school would use that as their marketing. So it kind of like made a circle, but it was cool. Yeah. Um, Very cool. All right. We're at number one. (laughs) Um, I think number one for me uh, would be, there's a waterfall called Wolf Creek Falls in Colorado. And it's like Wolf Creek ski area is a pretty popular ski Mm -hmm. area in Colorado. And, you have to drive up a pass. If you're coming from north to south, you drive up the pass and then past the ski area and just a little ways past it on the left, there's a pull-off. And you can kind of tell from the road that there's a big, like a creek on the left side of the road, but you can't really see it or anything. So you pull off and have to hike down there. And it's probably, it's, uh, and it had been run by like one of my good friends and kind of like hiking mentors had run it four years before, but that was the only time it had been run. And I think, People kind of just thought he was a nut for doing it, but <laughs> but I like the whole time in Col- we'd been in Colorado. I'd really been studying like the video that he made from it, and I had like talked to other people who had just been hiking there, and I talked to him a lot about it, and kind of like thought that it was like I just wanted to go look at it, and so I went to look at it, and it was just like, I mean, like even like part of me wanted to run it, and part of me was just like, this is so kind of like. I don't know if I want to do it or not. And then uh, the water was a little higher too than I wanted it to be when I went. So I drove on, like left it that day and went to Durango. And I met, there's a outfitter shop. I think they do all sorts of outdoor guided trips and stuff. It's called Four Corners Outfitters mm-hmm. in Durango. And someone put me in touch with the guy that owned it. And the guy that owned it had a bunch of kayaking guys working for them. And so they were able to come come up with me the next day and look at it again the water level had dropped or the, the water level is just lower in the morning because of the snow melt and stuff mm-hmm. it's not as hot but it looked like a pretty good level and then they were really patient like i think they're just excited they're excited to be there and um i spent a long time looking at it i think for me that was probably one of the biggest decisions i made of like am i doing this for the right reasons or not but i decided that i wanted to do it and so we set up like a a big safety plan and and made it happen but yeah essentially it was 
kind of probably like a 70 or 80 foot drop but mm-hmm. half foot but it lands like right against a rock shelf at the bottom so you have to get further out from that so the, I, the goal is to like you free fall for about 20 feet and then there's a shelf that you try to hit and then mm. that kind of would like bounce you out and then you gap the shelf at the bottom so you have to like hit the first one to miss the second one basically wow and then and then right after that there's like a another like a 30 footer right below it that kind of by itself it's not too bad but um just because it's right below if anything went wrong on the big one then it's right there so it's kind of like a a double sequence sort of thing but and then the safety's down below the second one i had one person that was kind i mean there's not much you can do between them so i had one person in between the two and he was like tethered into like a like harness and rope and stuff so if if something did happen, he may have been able... He basically had, like, a chance to kind of, like, grab yeah. or something. If not, you'd probably go off the second one. And then, so then I had a lot of... Most of the safety at the bottom of the second and one. And then did you hit the ledge? Yeah. That was the whole... Kind of the crux of it was to, like, line up the rapid going into it and know exactly where you were. Because if you're in the right spot going off, then you'd hit that ledge, and that would help you miss the second one. So <laughs> I spent, like, hours trying to trying to find the right spot to go off. But. Wow. You're going into uh, into this Four Corners Outfitters, mm-hmm. and you're like, hey, I'm going to run this falls. Do they know who you are, or how do you how do you do that? Like, you're just a kid coming in going, hey, I'm going to run these falls. They don't know that you've run all of these, so how do you do that without sounding like a crazy person and yeah. asking for help? Or do they know who you are? You know, I think the guy um, that I talked to at Four Corners, I'm was kind of introduced to him through a mutual friend. So I think that helped a little bit with that. I think too, like for the most part in kayaking, people try to, usually if someone wants to do something like that, it's kind of like, they kind of know it. They kind of know what they're talking about. So you wouldn't, I don't know. I guess, I guess you come in kind of like with, like you, you sound like you know what you're talking about and you have the confidence behind it to, yeah, but there's there's also somebody could come in and be like, "Hey, I'm gonna run Wolf Falls," and they're <laughs> like, "Yeah, sure you are." Yeah, you know? I mean, I would think that that has to be pretty delicate. Like you're gonna come in there and it's only been run once, and all the locals are afraid of it or respect it too much to do it, and now you're gonna go take a swipe at it, and you need their help. I would think that you would need to really, really be careful of how you originally went in there, so that they yeah. would be like, "Okay, this kid can do it." And we want to be part of it, as opposed to, man, you For know, sure, yeah. Good luck. Yeah. Have fun. Yeah, I think I think it all comes in, like, you, you definitely need to be respectful, for sure. Because there is the aspect of, like, the the local scene and, like, people are protective of their, their rivers or mm-hmm. whatever. And, and you don't want to just, and you don't want to sound cocky or, like, arrogant or anything like that, so... I tried I I tried to um that's why I had like one of my friends that I knew pretty well like introduce me to that guy and, mm-hmm. and put me in touch with him and then and so he was already kind of like open to to the idea and then and then the people that that came with me to like help me I I I mean I tried I mean just not only then but like in kayaking in general I think everyone deserves like an equal respect despite what their skill level i mean i think Mm -hmm. that goes for anything in life you know like respect everyone how you want yourself to be respected and so um one i viewed it as something that as like if they came they'd be helping me you know and they wouldn't 
like that could be an inconvenience to them. So I kind of, I kind of tried to, I mean, make sure that it was something they wanted to do. And they, I think they genuinely seemed like they, like even if none of us ran it, they wanted to go check it out. Mm. It's a cool place. I mean, it'd be a cool place to hike too. Um, and then, and then also like they were all class five kayakers. So I tried to view it as like, like, um, and like a couple of them ran the bottom, like the one mm. that was like right below it. Mm-hmm. So I tried to make that happen. And I think just like viewing everyone with, with an equal respect and then and being respectful of your your own skills and knowing your own limitations and not sounding like I'm gonna like fire this up you know, like be like I I honestly did not decide to run it or any of those. Like the especially the one in Minnesota and this one, like I walked away twice. Or mm. I walked away from both of them at one point and came wow. back. So it's not like uh and there's some things that I really wanted to do, but things that I think I was also like willing to let go of if out of respect for the river and the people involved if that was like what needed to be done i think so interesting it's an interesting perspective because i would think that a lot of people wouldn't wouldn't see it that way it's almost like it's almost like you're taking a zen approach to it and everything's got to be right and feel right and technically and physically it has to be right with the water levels and all of that but then you have to be at peace with this decision yourself and your crew needs to be somewhat at peace with with everything whether it's walk away or whether it's run it or you know i I don't know it seems like you know i would think that somebody that's jumping something on a motorcycle would have something similar when you look at old evil knievel deals and he's like you know i'm gonna jump it you know but i mean there was almost more of a of an attitude that was going in and i'm sure you know because he made plenty of money doing that that there was some salesmanship involved and mm-hmm. really behind the behind the scenes it was probably more like this like is everything going well is this a good decision am i doing this for the right reason that's interesting that's a very interesting uh decision making process so what's next you're going to get out of nursing school are you going to continue uh kayaking to this level or are you going to back off a little bit what what are your what are your goals so yeah i have one more semester left and then i think i'm going to kind of play it by ear but i have one of my my big goals i bought i bought a slalom kayak mm, okay. a couple of years ago I, and, i'm familiar with those like the the olympic style mm-hmm. okay yeah and so i've been trying i've g- been getting in that as much as i can we actually have a race this friday i think that i might have to skip class for <laughs> But that's kind of like, I really miss from wrestling, I miss being competitive, like running waterfalls and hard creeks and stuff. I think I'll always love that. But like, it's kind of competing against yourself in a way. Mm-hmm. And I kind of miss like organized competition, like like wrestling and, and the team and community that kind of like surrounds that. Like one of my goals is to try to get better at, at slalom. And I've been doing that as much as I can while I'm in school. But I think when I get out of school, I'll have a lot of time to, to focus on it and hopefully get the feel for it. What's the so. best training for slalom kayaking in actually kayaking, or do you do some gym work as well? There'd probably be people that uh, would say different things. Like the Euro- Europeans are all like about um, training and like scheduled focus mm. training and stuff. And I think that's there's a place for that, just like in any sport depending on what level you want to take it to but i also think like sometimes it can be taken too seriously and like you have to have fun with it i think it'll be interesting most people from in slalom kayaking 
are brought up slalom kayaking and then they branch into creek boating or other whitewater kayaking and stuff. I don't think there's been quite as many people that have been primarily like in the like technical creek boating kind of aspect and then come over to the slalom. I could be wrong on that, but as far as I, most of the like creek boaters that I know don't, don't get into that um, as much. And so I'm kind of interested to see, cause like I'm fairly confident kayaking it's, it's kind of a weird feeling because the timing is you're trying to make it through these gates as precise as you can if you touch them if you even touch it you get penalties if you miss it you get more i mean if you miss it you get a huge penalty and and stuff like that so um it's weird for me to feel like a beginner i guess yeah. like it really feels and i think and i think but at the same time i have a lot of confidence in reading water and lines and and i think that i'm excited to try to like just get that the timing in and everything and i think if i can do that and like learn that part of it and combine it with what i already know i think it i think i it would be really fun so that's kind of what i'm interested in as far as as far as training i think kayaking in general to whitewater just being out there as much as possible is a is a big part of i think you need to spend spend specific time for slalom but i think sometimes people view it as they only do slalom. Mm-hmm. And I think that's in the long run a little bit self-limiting because they don't, you can always tell a slalom kayaker when they, when they come on the creeks, cause they're just a little, they paddle a little differently. So <laughs> I don't know, but I that's think what they're probably saying about you when you go into the slalom. Oh, it definitely is. Look at that creek boater. <laughs> um, do you know who Kelly Starrett is? I don't think so. Kelly Starrett has mobility wad dot com wod workout of the day and he wrote a book called supple leopard and he has written several other books one's desk bound but he is also a pt and went to school but before that he was an olympic kayaker and so i think he might be a a good resource for you because a lot of the things that he's seeing is you know from so much sitting like this he was getting really tight in his hip flexors mm-hmm. and stuff like that and he's developed a lot of these stretches and mobility exercises and shoulder impingements and all kinds of stuff that he's brought out at, and made mainstream um but he's a i think he I'd, I'd be interested to see what you thought about his stuff because he's uh he he definitely comes from a kayaking background and a PT background and then he's really changed Absolutely. a lot of a lot of how people are taking care of themselves these days yeah that's awesome. But anyway, man, I wish you all the best with this. And if you decide you're going into um, slalom kayaking, I'm sure you're going to be a force to be reckoned with. How can people find you, learn more about you? I have a Facebook account. Well, I stay in touch with a lot of kayakers that way. We have like a Vimeo channel. It's OGP Productions on, on Vimeo. And, and those are kind of like our two main, or my two main ways of Staying in touch okay. with the, the kayaking. And if you want to, uh, if you want to see some of these waterfalls that he's run, you can look up Hunt Jennings Waterfall or Hunt Jennings Kayak, and that's how I found them. And <laughs> there's a bunch of them on there, not just the waterfalls, but running some really technical rapids and all kinds of stuff. I mean, he, you you were everywhere. Everywhere when I looked on on the internet, <laughs> it was it was pretty much e- pretty easy to find you. But I love the I love the conversation. I love the alternative education path that you took and uh, I think it's I think it's really neat so I'm sure that the, the listeners are going to find it the same if you want to get in touch with Hunt um, I'm sure that you can get him through Facebook or uh, or find him online somewhere but uh, anyway Hunt thanks so much for coming on I really appreciate it we'll do it again it's 
Street. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Man, I enjoyed that conversation with Hunt. I hope you liked it too. If you did, please take a second and go to iTunes and rate and review this show. That would be a huge help and I would really appreciate it. Also, don't be afraid to send me an email, podcast at saltwaterexperience.com. I will get that email and I will read it. And if you have suggestions for her future guests or suggestions on how we can improve the show, love to hear it. Love to hear it. Or if you just want to say hi, drop me an email. Until next week, we'll see you on the water.